This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. I'm also a renter. I make no secret of that. And as a result of that, I, I will bestow that on my children. And I already have on my two eldest adult children. That is an intergenerational transference of being a forever renter. And that's demographer Liz Allen, who we'll hear from a little later in the program. She, as she said, is a forever renter, and as a result, her children will go on to be forever renters. And in many countries like Germany and Switzerland, it's actually normal and accepted to be a forever renter. But here in Victoria, renting is still viewed as something that's temporary, a stepping stone in your 20s while you're saving up to buy your own home. So does our attitude to renting and forever renting, does that fundamentally need to change? Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host this morning, Bronwyn O'Shea, joining you from ABC Wodonga. Bron, as we've been hearing, yet another report has been released today that highlights just how hard it is to find a place to rent that you can afford and that is secure. So as a result, that idea of potentially owning your own home is fastly disappearing and experts say that more and more of us will become forever renters. And it's always been sort of an assumption, hasn't it? Especially if you've grown up in Australia and this has been what you've seen and heard of your whole life that, you know, for a while you might rent when you leave home um, until you save up enough money for a deposit and then it's the white picket fence dream isn't it but that is just not the reality and as we heard um, in the reports today this idea of these hunger games when mm. it comes to rentals it's ruthless and uh, housing affordability is um is just not something that the, the new generations are, are going to be able to consider. So, um, you know, what, what changes? Why is Australia yeah. in this kind of unique position where renting is look down upon really and it's also seen as something that's really temporary it, whether it be by the landlord or whether it be by the real estate agent that every 12 months that will be reviewed i know um, my husband and i we rented a place that was kind of seven going on eight years and it was a, which is a, a long time and we had a great relationship with that landlord even to the point if we knew there maybe were some months we might be struggling with rent we had a direct relationship we would work it out and we felt secure even in our younger years but I think those days of renting beyond 12 months or 18 months and now you sort of hold your breath at the end of that lease of is it going to be renewed again and nobody should have to live like that. Do you know, I remember many years ago now my mum and dad bought the farm next door and and you know, that that came with a little cottage that um, an older man was living in, renting at the time. So the people that they bought it from didn't live there, but this, this elderly gentleman did. And part of the condition of buying the farm was you get him as well. <laughs> he comes with the property. And, and, and the commitment must be that he can live there for as long as he lives, till he dies. And so that's what happened. And it actually was great because he had a home for life. And mum and dad had someone who loved living there in this humble little cottage and who would look out for, you know, things that, that might be happening on the farm that they hadn't spotted. So it was such a great arrangement. I love that but that how was... rare. Put, yeah, how <laughs> rare. And the fact that that was written into it, that your mum and dad agreed to it and to have yes. a lease for life. It does happen in other countries. It happens in America. It happens in Europe. It happens in parts of Germany and Switzerland. one three hundred triple two seven seven four. If you're a lifelong renter or a long-term renter or maybe a landlord who would love a permanent lifelong tenant, how do we do that? What changes are needed from rights and regulations to our attitudes if more of us are going to be renting for life? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Good morning, Rochelle Hunty with you in Melbourne. Bronwyn O'Shea joining you this morning from ABC Wodonga as we talk about our changing attitudes towards long-term renting, a lease for life, a lifelong renter. How do we make that just a part of our living and shift our view on renting, Bron, as something that we see as a temporary measure or something that you do when you're young and not something that you do permanently? Dr Liz Allen is a demographer and a senior lecturer at ANU and as we heard at the very top of the show, Liz, you're a lifelong renter. 
How rare is it for, to be a lifelong <laughs> renter now? And how will that change, do you think? Well, we don't have a great deal of data on this. Uh, but what we do know is that uh, renting is increasing as a proportion of um, uh, housing tenure. And since the 1950s, we've seen generation on generation housing um, ownership uh, decline. So generations born today and tomorrow and into the future will experience a much uh, less uh, rate of home ownership than uh, previous generations. And so this obviously requires a shift in the thinking about how we deal with the situation of homeowners versus uh, versus renters and how can we make situations where if you are a forever lifelong renter, how can you um, enjoy a home, mm. raise a family if you choose and not have your landlord be the boss of you and be the boss of your children and instead you can have stability of tenure and enjoy what is fundamentally a human right, that of housing. So what are some of the things you'd love to see, especially being someone who's rented for life, Liz, that you'd like to see Australia adopt that would make that so much easier? I think the first thing we need to consider is this imbalance of, of uh, wealth inequality, particularly as we see the majority of inequality um, uh, rest along these lines of who owns property versus who doesn't. And of course, if you don't own a property uh, and uh, upon your retirement or in your elder years, then your, your living standards are really compromised. So we really need to consider that notion of wealth inequality and housing inequality as that, at that kind of first step forward. Is this something that we can we can deal with and so on? And then the next step is, well, if we do have forever renters and in this climate intergenerational transference of forever renting, then we need to make renting a more secure and more stable mm. situation for people to live. And that's the bit that we're interested in pulling apart here because that, and you are so right, I mean, when we look at that divide between wealth and the divide and that gap between rich and poor that is just growing and widening at such a rapid rate at the moment, that's going to take a long time to fix or to correct and even if that's possible, who knows. One thing that we can potentially change is securing up renting so you can be a lifelong renter like in other parts of the globe. There's so many texts on this. It says renting and existing on an old age pension is just a recipe for poverty and we'll speak to a housing expert about that in just a moment. But this is from Simon in Bandura, Liz, and it says renting laws and rights, etc., are very different in many parts of Europe. You just can't accurately compare Australia to other countries in this regard. Australian rental laws make it temporary. So how do we make Indeed. our laws not temporary so that if you want to be a lifelong renter or that if for whatever circumstance you are a lifelong renter, then you're secure in that? And and this is spot on. It means law reform. And, and I'm I really going to drop a bombshell right now that at the moment, the, the, the scales, if you like, of, of uh, rights and responsibilities um, really favour the landlord and favour real estate agents. Um, and so we need to correct that imbalance so that renters are able to um, live in a home. And when I say live in a home, it, in its full ex fullest extent, live in a home and feel that that home is part of them and their family because this, of course, has flow-on consequences for our demography, uh, is it that people are now not having children because of housing and so mm. on. So that's the first thing, is, is law reform, national law reform to ensure renters' rights. Can I just and pull that, that apart a little bit, though, Liz? Yeah. That, that, yes, landlords, for a lot of the time, are to blame here, but this will, you know, whether they're greedy or whatever it may be, but that being said, forever we have been sold the idea that you need to invest in property. Mum and dad investors are the majority of landlords. Yes, there are some bad eggs. You also mentioned real estate agents. They don't seem to cop as much of a bad rap and don't seem to be integrated as much when it comes to rental affordability as landlords. The role of real estate agents 
here in the money that they make, in the control that they have, is that something that needs to be changed? Indeed. I, I remember a, um, a property I was in, uh, which is very common in Canberra. It was a three-year um, um, uh, term. Uh, we, of course, didn't realise it was three years, but that was because the owner chose to come back after an international posting. And the real estate agent knew that. The real estate agent had lots of information at their disposal, but they chose not to share with us. And I recall that the real estate agent made our life really difficult, really, really nasty experience. But when we left, um, the real estate agent called and said, I've got something here for you at the office. I need you to come and collect it. And for any tenant, that, that kind of call would, would send kind of shivers up your spine and you probably want to vomit. And it did. Uh, it made me feel like that. Anyhow, I sheepishly, uh, sheepishly went into the office and there was a giant bouquet of booze and chocolates waiting for me. And, I, and she said, this is from the landlord. I said, what do you mean? And she said, she was, they're delighted with you having looked after the house. And, and I remember being in absolute shock, thinking this real estate agent made my life hell. Mm. She came in and told me what I could and couldn't do and where I could and couldn't let my kids colour in, in, colouring in books. It was that extreme. Oh. Yet the, the property owner was delighted at how much care we paid to this house. But it made me realise at that point a number of things that there was a disconnect between the property owner yes. and the, the tenant and then this, this in-between person. There needs to be tighter regulation that governs um, and, I, I hate to say it, controls the behaviour and regulates the behaviour of real estate agents because they are acting in the interests of the landlord, but the landlords don't always know what they're doing on a kind of day-to-day -day, uh, experience. And so that needs to be addressed um, Liz, immediately. There's a text here that says, we cannot accept renting as the norm. It is inequitable. And I'd <laughs> prefer a program, radio program, on how to enable new generations to purchase because it is not a long-term solution. Would you, if you had the opportunity, prefer to buy a house you could afford rather than have to consider a lifetime of renting? And, and I, I look, I've got to say, I'm about to, to cry thinking about it, is, you know, I've lived through homelessness and I've lived through very precarious living in a heartbeat if you gave me the option of owning a home i would and in fact on one occasion we had the land rent scheme in the act which enabled transitions for people like me and my kids i've got seven kids to to dare to dream of home ownership and it's where you know the the government would lease you the land mm. uh with the potential of buying it back but you would build a property we secured a block, a very um, modest block, and we would go and visit the kids who paint, play in the dirt and, you know, pick the flowers that were growing and so on, and we dared to dream. And it just never realised because of uh, no bank would dare support a scheme like that. And so it ended up going not to people that needed these homes, but rather people that could, could, could manage their way through a system, um, and we were just unlucky. That is the type of thing we need to dare to dream. We need to dare as a country, and I'm talking to policymakers here, not the people that are, the families that are daring to dream, because we dream every day about these things. Policymakers need to reconsider priorities in this country. Do we just decide that renting and forever renting is what we're going to be happy with? Okay, not everyone can own a home, but we are kind of deciding that we are destined for such entrenched inequality, the likes we've never seen in this country. And are we happy with that? I would say that we are not, as a nation, happy with that kind of entrenched, uh, uh, widening gap of inequality. Yes, there should be schemes, and I would proudly um, uh, accept a scheme that I could contribute to. Um, that would be modest in nature. I don't want anything grand. Yeah. I just want a home uh, that I can securely live in with my children. Liz Ellen, thank you so much for your insights and for your work and for your passion and your honesty on this. We really appreciate it. 
Thank you. Dr Liz Allen, demographer and senior lecturer at ANU. That idea of being a lifelong renter, a lease for life, how do we make security for people who either by choice or by no choice are renting for their entire lifetimes and as we heard from Liz when it's generational as well Diane's in Geelong morning Diane hello how are you really well what did you want to say uh just I'm renting after owning a home with my husband who died of brain cancer and we lived up in the country and we were on a 20 acres and I was a wildlife carer living the dream you know and he got sick and it was four years of him dying and we tried well he went into care and trying to sell the house and I had to sell it at a great loss it was an off-grid house so it was you know specialist and yeah. um, I sold it at a great loss and came back to Geelong with my daughter and grandson and I've rented ever since and that my first rent, I can't afford to buy in Geelong and my first rental, I was there for, and the landlord said, you know, be as long as you like, year, 10 years, 20 years, whatever. Then he split up with his wife. So Things change. <laughs> yep. And where I am now, um, I had I was, had to get somewhere in a real hurry. And so I've got this place and it's unsuitable. It's got big high steps and I'm on, I've got disabilities and but every time you move, it's, you know, thousands of dollars. Yeah. And, and my bank account just going down and down. down. And that yeah. idea too, Diane, of what Liz was saying is that creating schemes, you know, fundamentally, Bron, something needs to change where there can be security. Lots of people actually talking about, you know, whether or not corporate landlords are better. Just mm. talk to small businesses owners and uh, corporates about corporate landlord, constant rent increases, no negotiating, no late payments, no compassion at all, says this. So these people are against corporate landlords, but we do see in other parts of the world corporate landlords that then will have lifelong renters. It's interesting, isn't it? We moved four times in four years, and don't they say moving house is one of the most stressful things a person can ever go through and it's because the people that we rented from owned the homes and circumstances changed just like our caller Diane and you know in one case the landlord needed to move back in in another there'd been a death and they sold the home so we 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 were happy to have stayed mm. much longer but we had to keep being moved on and it was it was so unsettling and um and I wonder whether you know if if it was owned by a corporate landlord, you may not have that um, that need to constantly be moving because the circumstances change. That's right. And Stephen Fairhaven says, while long-term rental agreements are probably good for both tenants and landlords, there needs to be sensible options to end the agreements if things go stale. So that idea of, okay, you might say, well, I'm going to rent this place or I'll give you the opportunity to rent this place for 10 years, you know, a long lease so that you have that security. But then you can put things into a contract. You can put in negotiations, maybe even if it is for subtle rent increases over certain periods over that decade. What would work? Is it even possible or is the genie too far out of the bottle in this state to look at a way to have a lease for life? This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning, Rochelle Hunty with you in Melbourne. Bronwyn O'Shea joining you from ABC Wodonga as we look at the idea of a lifelong renter. How would this work as a tenant, as a landlord? Is this something that you would like to see? If it turns out, Bron, as we're hearing and as many experts are saying, that more and more of us, especially the generations that will follow us, will be lifelong renters. How do we make that more secure for people? Joey Maloney is a senior associate at Grattan Institute's Economic Policy Program. Joey, is there ever a chance of there being such a thing as security and lifelong renting, do you believe? Oh, good morning. Thanks for having me. And a uh, really great conversation so far. I've really enjoyed it. Um, I think it's certainly possible. I mean, there's we've got case studies from overseas about how to set up the regulation of a rental market or the structure of a rental market more broadly to make people who never break into home ownership to ensure that they have a good quality and secure tenure throughout their life. It's certainly a model that's possible. It's just not one that Australia has really historically embraced and we're probably not well set up for the future generations. Well, the falling rates of home ownership and that meaning that we're going to see more and more people in the rental private rental market for most of their lives, if not all of them. 
Joey, I know, and we've talked about this already a little, that um, overseas it's often not mum and dad investors who hold the majority of properties. It's actually a lot of corporate landlords who who um, who, who offer properties up for rent. And there's quite a lot of concern on the text message line here saying, you know, that that's a bad way to go. We don't want to go down that path. But what, what do the overseas examples tell us of how what that looks like and what protections there are for renters in that regard? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think I can understand the concerns because it can be done in a good and a bad way. So, for example, the United States has a lot of corporate landlords, but what they also have is some quite lax uh, tenancy laws that don't give the tenants a lot of rights. And so people kind of look at a city like Atlanta, Georgia, for example, where tenants find themselves squeezed on rents, don't have a lot of security of tenure and just don't have a lot of bargaining power. But there are cities in Europe, for example, where the presence of corporate landlords is buttressed by strong residential prote- uh, protections. Now, the key thing, I think, is that having corporate landlords makes it should make it politically easier to give renters greater protections because one of the issues you have when your rental stock is owned predominantly by small-scale landlords is they'll be very resistant mm. to regulations which try to shift the bargaining power um, shift the balance of bargaining power in favour of tenants because, you know, they own maybe this is a this is a big asset. It actually represents a big stock of their personal savings, and so they're going to really, really desire as much flexibility to control that asset as possible. Whereas for a large scale landlord, they've got a diversified portfolio of potentially upwards of a thousand individual units, so they're diversified. So it's easier to put in place uh, protections that give the tenant more rights. And you start to see just how big this problem is and how tricky it's going to be to undo because the majority of landlords are mum and dad investors that have done exactly what you just said, Joey. They've been told, you know, bricks and mortar is where you should invest your money. It's it's there. It's for your retirement. It gives you your security. And people will often push themselves to a limit that's probably out of their reach in order to get that investment. And then they feel every little increase and then that gets passed on to the renter and then as a result you sort of just create this really awful relationship of I guess just not having that flexibility as a mum and dad investor to wear any of those increases how do we undo this, though? Because mm. it's the the Australian way, you know. As you've said, we haven't embraced even renting and accepting renting right from the very beginning. Culturally, something has to shift, I think. I mean, I think you're probably right culturally, but I'd say economically the, is the main shift. I mean, this is all part of our broader housing affordability problem. And housing's unaffordable for a variety of reasons. And I think that the the federal government and certainly we've seen in Victoria and the New South Wales government as well have kind of identified the key cause that we're just not building enough houses to keep up with the growing population and people's preferences. So that's kind of objective number one. There are a few things that we could do at the margin to boost home ownership or at least to arrest the decline in home ownership. Um, for example, the capital gains tax discount and negative gearing. Now, they interact to make housing a very attractive investment vehicle. At the Grattan Institute, we've had a proposal on the books for a long time to wind back those tax concessions. Now, that would, at the margin, uh, give a first-home buyer a leg up or fruit haul. Actually, more specifically, remove the leg up given to investors at, at the auction to uh, give first-home buyers a better chance. So that's that's one thing. But I think that um, we've seen both uh, governments up and down the East Coast have looked at, is there a way that we can boost the housing construction coming from the build-to-rent sector, so the corporate landlord sector? Can we do that in a way that ensures that we've got a flow of new rental stock that is better set up for a better quality security and security of tenure? So... There's some promising developments. I think things are going in the right way, but the problem is of a sufficient scale that we're going to need to really put in a concerted effort over a number of years here. Joey, are there benefits, are there advantages in actually flipping the way we think about property and and embracing long-term renting? Like, Can there be economic advantages to that? I think... I think that... I don't think there's any specific economic advantages to 
embracing long-term renting over home ownership. I think what there is in Australia is there are material policy advantages to home ownership. So it's not just that home ownership gives you control over your own tenure and relative to renting, and that we could deal with it, that by giving renters more control over their own tenure. That's one thing. But there are sort of other pieces of the puzzle. So, for example, when people hit retirement and they draw on the age pension, in a lot of ways, the amount of age pension you get assumes home ownership. Renters don't really get mm. much of a boost to their age pension for the fact that they don't own their own home. And that's despite the fact that they have to keep paying rent throughout retirement, whereas homeowners... You know, typically they, they hit retirement age, hopefully they've extinguished their mortgage and their housing costs fall to a relatively negligible amount. So there's sort of, there's a whole bunch of policy architecture around that we'd need to fix to make, you know, if someone, if the question is, would someone by choice rent throughout their life? There's a lot of policy disincentives towards that. Oh, it's so complicated. Joey, it's been really good speaking with you. Thanks so much. Joey Maloney, Senior Associate at Grattan Institute's Economic Policy Program. This message, it says, I just wish the attitude towards renting in this country could be changed. As one of your callers from another program said some time back, and I'm paraphrasing here, it should be looked upon as a home and not as an investment. After losing my job, I applied for a house and I told the owner I wanted a tenure for between five and 30 years. Unless I win the lottery, I'll be renting for the rest of my life. But this house is my home. And I wonder how the average landlord would feel if someone like this texter said, well, yeah, I would like to rent your house, but I want to guarantee that I can rent it for 20 years. And that's not uncommon in other countries. I think it's Germany where they offer from between two and 30 year leases. Imagine that. Just the difference of attitude, knowing that you've got Mm. someone that is living in that house. Surely... You know, there has to be proof that that home then gets looked after in a greater way because it is seen as a home and not a house and you do have a sense of security and you can you can put your roots down. You know, you can raise a family if you want to raise a family. I'd love to know whether there is something in that, whether you know, because there's a lot of text talking about, you know, not everyone's a good tenant. You don't want every tenant in there forever. But I wonder if we set it up differently and like you say we created that sense of security in mm. long term for people whether that might change the way people, people might behave. become better tenants who knows exactly who knows andrew's in mentone good morning hi michelle hey what does you um, want to say look i think the government should actually look at other levers to lessen the um the burden on low income. I mean, when they keep raising the interest rates, all they're doing is actually targeting people that don't have a disposable income. If they raise the GST, then it's actually targeting people with the um, disposable income. And they're the ones that have actually got the... Well, they're the problem, really, because they're the ones spending the money creating the inflation. And it's interesting, even the head of the ANZ Bank was talking about rising interest rates and trying to curb inflation, yet those who are being hurt the most, you know, are renters, people that don't even have a mortgage with the ANZ, and yet the head of the ANZ could see that. Kay's in Middle Park. Morning. Oh, hello. Yes, I was just saying that I'm an owner and, and a landlord, and um, I was just saying, one of the biggest issues I found is that the rates keep going up. So not just the council rates, which are huge, uh, thousands and thousands a year, but also the land tax rates are staggering every year. So that's like $17,000 a year in those rates alone that I have to come up with. It never, co- it never covers the rent. How long have you been a, a, a landlord, Kay? Uh, sorry, 20 years. And and is this the first time that you've sort of been facing these extra charges like land tax? Because there are some reports from the, the Real Estate Institute that are saying that landlords are leaving Victoria at quite a rate because of land tax. Uh, look, I've, I've, I've only just noticed it getting more, so much more expensive in the last five years, probably, maybe 10, uh, where I've gone, oh my God, I've got to come up with another several thousand to cover that. Um you know, I don't know. I have, I've lived in Europe as well, in, in America, and I know that there are 
people who live long, 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 many, many years in one place, and that's their home forever. I, I like that idea, but I've also had tenants who stayed a year or less than a year. They found something they like better. Um, you know, some people are more able to move, and they've got children as well, so I don't know. And also, I had to move some of my tenants mm. because they, I needed, I had to do some work on the house, and I couldn't do it with them in it. Would you prefer a long? Would you prefer a long lease, Kate? Would you prefer a tenant to be there for ten years? Um, yeah, I think that would be fantastic. As long as um, you, you probably would have to put in um, uh, CPI, at least CPI, but also all market-related sort of increases every. Mm. Yeah, and it doesn't mean you can't put the rent up. It just means that person is able to live there without necessarily having to re-sign a lease. This text, I'd love my tenants to sign a long lease. It's stressful renting it out. I don't put the rent up because I want them to stay. Fiona is at Mulvanese. Hi, Fiona. Hi. I was just had a thought. I wonder if the government would be interested in giving some generous tax concessions to people who, rather than trying to get people to move out of a home, and um, downsize, which is problematic because they can't find places that they can afford to buy, is just concessions for the people to build granny flats or a second residency on their home. You've got a lot of places um, sort of in the well-established, not the total inner city, but like your Mm. Melbourne, your um, Armadale, Glen Iris, etc. They have really generous backyards that they could put something on there and they could either rent that out or sell it. Yeah, and there's lots of discussion and there's been lots of just of late around making that possible. That that idea, you know, the idea of putting a a tiny home or a granny flat as we once called them, but now they're less for our older relatives and probably more for our kids or it might even be for ourselves. But then even that, is that that the solution? I don't know whether everyone actually wants to live in a tiny home either, but I do agree that, Bron, that, that there needs to be more flexibility for people to be able to house loved ones. Where they and want I think to. a secure tiny home is probably preferable over a very insecure larger home, perhaps for a renter. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning, Rochelle Hunt and Bronwyn O'Shea with you as we look at the idea of a long-term renter. A landlord, would you like to have a long-term, a permanent tenant there? And the reasons why, you know, we sort of keep seeing people moving out every 12 months. Is it because people are putting up the rent? That idea, Bron, too, of who and why we own homes. One thing we haven't touched on is sort of over the last couple of decades, and many will argue it was at the beginning of the first home buyers Grant, we saw the amount of money that people could make from buying and selling a property in a short period of time. Ridiculous. People doubling their money. So all of a sudden, everybody was wanting to get in to the property market and pushing themselves to limits maybe that they potentially couldn't push themselves to in order to get into the property market. And now decades down the track, it just sort of feels like it's holes are bursting everywhere and there is water pouring out from all aspects of this ship. It became too much of a good thing, didn't it, to, to, to pass it up? too that- easy opportunity to make money from property and uh, as the head of National Shelter said I think in the last week um, homes became about wealth creation not about shelter well, Wendy Stone is a professor of housing and social policy at the Centre for Urban Transitions at Swinburne University. Welcome Wendy. Thank you. You've looked at housing aspirations of Australia so where would we like to live? What would we like to have? What did you find? Yeah, thank you. Well, just before the pandemic, uh, we undertook a very, very large national program of research, which in which we really uh, looked at sort of the basic aspirations people have for housing that will meet their needs. And we asked about that in the immediate term. So does your current housing meet your needs um, in the medium sort of longer term in say five years? How does your current housing look likely to set you up for you know those needs? And also just ideals. What we really found when we talked to young adults, uh, midlife adults, and then people living um, in retirement um, years and really well into um, later life, is that only if we take everyone all together at that time, only about a fifth, one in five uh, people in Australia really favoured private rental 
over other options. And the number one driver for that aspiration um, among many, but the number one driver is the need that everybody expresses for safe and secure yeah. housing. And as we heard from our caller earlier and, you know, a lot of your work, Wendy, looks into the risks and the security of older women and the fact that women over the age of 55 are the fastest growing cohort of homeless. Mm -hmm. And you can see just how easy that happens to people. The idea of being a lifelong renter and being a woman who maybe has taken time off work to raise a family, maybe doesn't have a lot of superannuation if there is a divorce or a death. What sort of security do you have as you age if you are a lifelong renter? It's it's um, in the country at the moment, in our country, it's actually very little. So um, it's absolutely right. Those numbers of um, older women um, experiencing homelessness are increasing. But sadly, um, also we find in the last um, homelessness estimates, it's actually children and young people that are the, now the fastest growing group. And it's not a race you want to be winning. So both of those scenarios are really poor outcomes for our society. But what, what we do know is that um, there's actually no market sort of solution. There's no financial profit-based solution that responds adequately and well and respectfully to people living with low to moderate incomes. So we, we do know that there are some really innovative not-for-profit uh, real estate agency models around. Um, they've actually begun in Melbourne in, a, in the Australian context. Uh, so we, we do need to think far more laterally now about not only shoring up uh, rental regulations to remove um, the ongoing evictions that we see uh, and rent increases, but also really look to non-financialised models of affordable housing, genuinely affordable housing for lower to moderate income people, um, as well as looking at how we can uh, make longer term renting just that you know that secure um, home that everybody needs. We know that at the moment the growing inequality between owners and renters means that only some people in our society benefit, um, can really look after their adult children, look after their grandchildren, look after their aging parents, all of those spin-off benefits that people who are in precarious rental situations simply forego and that has intergenerational and deep impacts on mm. equality in our society that affects all of us. Wendy, what about concepts like, there was a text earlier, rent to buy, is that the solution, the text asked? And, you know, I know you've looked also at, at build to rent and incentives around that. Um, what options are there? Yeah, I think um, these are really um, important questions that we start to think about the housing system overall, not sort of so much... Um, but I guess we need to get away from tinkering at the edges because we know that the current system is broken in, in many ways. So thinking about new models, um, the, the schemes which are about rent to buy, are, I think are really all the evidence points to them um, working really well in the Australian context. Already we've had long-term um, schemes that have been on operation in Western Australia and the ACT, for example, uh, and there's a need for new evidence to really look at how those could be scaled up. Um, so that sort of shared equity type scheme where governments have a, a steadying hand, if you like, in the extent mm. to which um, financial institutions make profit. And we're, I guess we're in this situation where cost of living is going up for everyone, for tenants and landlords alike. Sharon's in queue. She says, we'd love a long-term renter, but it's impossible as the costs are just escalated over the years. Things like land tax and council rates, it's just not that simple. And another is Michael in Painesville. He says, my daughter has lived in 11 houses in 13 years. Rentals in two states, it's so disruptive. The exiting of a lease is one of the most stressful times in my life. Bonds being disrupted disrupted, cost of money, all of those things. And we know that there is a huge wait list at VCAT for bonds and for people that have got disputes between landlords and tenants. Just finally, Wendy Stone, are you confident that we can make change? We've never discussed housing equity more than I can mm. remember in my life. But are we going to stop talking and are we going to start seeing some action, do you think? And this isn't a landlords v tenants, you know, this is not a, bl a blame game. It's just trying to create some stability. 
I think if we um, we are in a particular moment, we have um, under development at the national level um, right now. Uh, there's a, a national housing and homelessness plan being developed, uh, and what we really need to put at the centre of that is that notion of home, and really thinking of um, all of the measures we're putting place into the housing system as providing number one the housing that Australians need and want to have those secure, safe futures. Um, only second to that should we be thinking about um, winners and losers in financial terms. What we absolutely need to prioritise is the ability of you know, kids to go to the same primary school for, throughout those school years, uh, parents to house their children well or to even have children. Um, and you know, um, for people to be able to care for each other intergenerationally within a within a neighbourhood within the community. So, stabilising the rental sector is really key, and that's definitely um, one of the key priorities of this new national housing plan development. Wendy Stone, thank you so much for being with us. Professor of Housing and Social Policy at the Centre for Urban Transitions at Swinburne University. Jacob Kane is the President of the Real Estate Institute of Victoria, currently in Los Angeles as we speak, as people and real estate agents from all around the globe gather. Jacob, is Australia a little bit on its own when it comes to the idea of a lifelong renter, do you think? Look, I, I don't think we're the only country um, that's kind of averse to that, but we are certainly in the minority. When you look around the, the global context, certainly within Europe and the United States, the, the concept of renting for life is much more prevalent and culturally much more accepted. Um, we, we have a sort of cultural context here which uh, focuses on that, you know, and prioritises, I think, the the notion of success and, and home ownership being intertwined. But that's, you know, and that's a product, I think, of, of our sort of immigrant background. You know, all of us in some way have come here um, from other countries and sought to, you know, grab a piece of, of, of the place for ourselves, build businesses, build families, and home, own, home ownership has been part of that, you know, uh, identity. But um, in the global context, we are sort of out definitely in that respect. Um, you won't be surprised, Jacob, to know that there are lots of texts blaming, <laughs> pointing the finger at the real estate industry itself and the role of real estate agents in making, you know, rental often a very insecure and expensive option for people. Um, what do you say about that? Look, I'd push back on, on that uh, to a certain extent. I think... The, the, the situation that we find ourselves in, and I'm, as you might have mentioned at the, the beginning of the conversation, I, I'm in Los Angeles at the moment and I'm seeing sort of explicit um, and very confronting um, homelessness issues with housing affordability at, at a level which I've, I've not witnessed here in the past. Um, and certainly in, in contrast, Australia seems uh, to be doing much better. By no means have we got it right, that's that's for sure. But in relation to your your um, point there the, the part of the problem is that uh, the rental market in Australia is is predominantly or it's dominated by private investors private owners 82 percent of all rental properties in Australia are provi provided by private rental um, uh, owners and the incentives uh, are sort of misaligned often. I, your previous guest, I, I heard her speak about the concept of stability and the notion of home. Um, that I, I couldn't agree more that that's such a critical piece in terms of um, changing the culture, changing the experience of renting for renters in Australia. Uh, as I touched on before, historically, renting, mm. renting has been really a transitional phase in, in a lot of people's lives. How life, do we do rather that, than, how, how do we change that? that culture that attitude that we almost look down on renters like well why are you renting you know you need to come up with mm. an excuse or a reason as to why you're renting and and to be fair i mean a lot of people say that rental agents are, are quite awful and so controlling and un make unrealistic demands upon renters and often say the rent's going up when the landlord hasn't even asked for that or initiated mm. that it feels as though there's quite a lot of if we're talking about a culture change there's quite a lot of work to be done in the real estate industry itself yeah, certainly. Um, 
In regards to that last point with regards to putting up rents when the uh, owners haven't requested that, that that wouldn't be in line with legislation so that uh, any increase in the rent would need to be ticked off on and, and requested by the owner of the property. Um, cer- certainly the, the, the context is um, less than favourable because of what I was touching on before in terms of those sort of misaligned incentives. But the, the agents don't put any obligations or expectations on renters that aren't in line with the legislation. And lots of legislation changes over the past few uh, years, which I think have been really productive for improving the rights that renters have in rental properties. You know, things like the right, you know, no no reasonable request for a pet being uh, uh, refused. Things like uh, being able to um, make adjustments, moderate adjustments to the property and then, you know, ensure that they're corrected at the end of the lease. These are the kind of things that I think personally need to be expanded if we're going to encourage and foster a culture that supports and wants Mm. um, longer term Mm. uh, renters, yeah? Um, You have to incentivise on both sides of the equation too, both for, yeah, jump in, sorry. I was just going to say, if, say, 10-year leases become more commonplace, would real estate agents lose money in that process? Would real estate agents... Yeah, so um, would you you lose less commission? Somehow would that affect your business? To, to my mind, and, and I think this would be a view shared by certainly the members of the Real Estate Institute of Victoria, longer term tenants are fantastic. They're fantastic for the owners of the property and they're fantastic for the managing agents as well because longer term um, renters, tenants, are generally speaking really consistent. They, they're invested in the property. They might even on occasion suggest or, or volunteer um, improvements to the property as well, which are which are contributing to obviously to the capital value of the property, and is a demonstration of of you know, that concept that Wendy, your earlier guest, touched on creating home, creating stability. So, and from a financial perspective, um, you know, companies that have strong longer term tenants in place like that that are consistent with rent, that's that's a really productive thing because the revenue stream is consistent the money's coming in every every month you don't have to deal with periods of vacancy you don't have to uh, deal with periods of uh, rental arrears or you know disputes along those lines because generally speaking those people you know they're they're working collaboratively in making that relationship a good relationship a strong long-term relationship Jacob, very quickly, there's a couple of texts saying, but if we go down the the path of quite long-term leases, say 10, 20 years even, what happens if my circumstances as a landlord change and I need to sell the property? I presume, Jacob, that around the world there are, uh, you know, cases where you can get out if you need to sell a property for that sort of reason. Yeah, and and there is in in Australia too, um, or not explicitly out of the the lease. Um, the the lease would remain in place, but you can still sell the property with with the the renter in place. I think you know there needs to be some give and take. Some legislative changes would need to happen to really support longer term leases um, to you know provide that flexibility on both sides I think one of the panelists said earlier on you know what happens if someone gets sick and can't afford to mm. pay the rent anymore there needs to be a, a bit of give and take on either side um, and that's, that's the case in anything if if you know the conditions change for anyone in any given context you know in a, a a contractual sense there needs to be different clauses etc that allow people the flexibility or the get out of jail is or the get out clause which you referred to before so there's certainly some change that needs to take place there uh, as well from a legislative perspective to, to make that a, a safer environment for both renters and rental providers jacob good to hear from you thanks so much you're most welcome thanks for having me see so, yeah, jacob kane is the president of the real estate institute of victoria this text in relation to what he was saying about well, whether or not real estate agents just put up the rent without the landlord knowing and Jacob said, well, that just can't happen under legislation. This says, not true. I'm an owner. My agent said if they didn't hear from me, the rent would just go up automatically. And this is from Gail. It says, I'm a landlord with a gorgeous little two-bedroom rental cottage. It was originally bought to live in when we built a new house next door, but we were lucky enough to manage to keep both. We've not actually made any money from the rent, but as a 
result, we have a good upkeep and we've got upgrades and in retirement, I have a beautifully maintained property for which I'll charge a moderate amount of rent for for a longer tenancy. I've managed to keep my social conscience and the reward that goes with that. If the tenants sign another lease, I don't put the rent up. I'm widowed. I'm a 67-year-old, in inverted commas, mum and dad landlord. I make the decisions, not the agent. That's from Gail. And it's been fascinating to pull apart just how complicated this is, Bron, and how much of a long time coming this is. And cultural mm. shift, it doesn't happen overnight, but it certainly feels like it needs to accelerate in some way. Steve has called from Jack Jack. Hi, Steve. So I'm just wondering why we can't go down like the Bank of Islam path because they're not allowed to pay interest. So you basically... The bank buys the property and you lease it back at an agreed rate over the 20 or 30 years what it is. That sounds like a very sensible way to do it. I know the Victorian government looked at buying 40% of people's properties so that you would only, you know, you would have to come up with less money and there are incentives like that. But there are different models all around the world. A huge thank you to everyone who rang through and to all of the texts that came through as well today. Bron, we always say apologies if we didn't get to all of your there calls. There were so many. <laughs> read out all of your texts, but it shows just how complicated uh, this is and we've done lots of programs on everything from tiny homes rent vesting uh, the idea of uh, living multi-generationally so if this is a show that has piqued your interest in any way don't forget the conversation hour is a podcast you can subscribe to the conversation hour go to the abc listen app and we've done lots of different programs on this exact topic and tomorrow we've got a bit of a special program we're actually going to be joined by the artist david bromley and his wife yugi there's a documentary that's been made about his life and his art and it raises some really interesting issues not only about access to art and the art world but also what it means to be an artist what sort of opportunities you need to be an artist and how having access to art helps us with our mental health so tomorrow as we said the artist david bromley and his wife yugi will be joining us in the studio as we pull apart what it means to be an artist don't forget the conversation hour is a podcast go to the abc listen app to subscribe speak to you tomorrow